This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. The Final Furlong Podcast is proudly brought to you by Tote. Think you can't get better value? Think again. 10% bigger dividends when you bet direct with Tote Plus at tote.co.uk. Back to preview another huge weekend of racing. It is Emma Kennedy alongside the legend, Racing Post Naps champion for the flat season last year, 2020, and a man who crushed it on last Thursday's show with the 5-1 to one winning nap going in 15-2 to two next best wins and I did chip in with St. Mark's Basilica at the time who was 7-4 to four and went off even money Peyton landed gravy everywhere Rory DeLarge welcome back to the show my friend thank you very much Anneth. high expectations of course after last weekend uh, so we're going to focus on the group races, uh, with the odd exception for a handicap here or there, where uh, Rory is quite keen at one. And uh, we're beginning with Friday and the Tattersalls Falmouth Stakes, which obviously is the feature race there. Um, uh, the going currently good to firm, which is not the case at other tracks, uh, to say the least, in um, the UK. Alcohol free, Royal Ascot hero for Oshin Murphy, who is course still on board uh, retains the ride snow lantern who got very close and mother earth so the one two three from ascot uh, are doing battle again and they are three to one four to one and 11, 11 to two generally in the market uh, has the market got this right so we've got some older horses in here as well of course uh, champers lise for example uh, who's been a little bit disappointing this season although i thought ran better at royal ascot uh how do you see this race shaping up, Rory? And does the market have it right? I'm not. Sure, I'm not entirely sure the market has it right, but it's um, it's a really, really strong running of the uh, um, of the Falmouth. Um, we don't see too many poor uh, runnings of this, but they're, they're not always that competitive. Um, and there's often there's often a very small field. Um, uh, nothing bigger than seven runners in the last. Um, the last five renewals of this, but a, a really strong 13 runner contest here. And um, not easy to um, to rule many um, of the uh, of the 13 out completely. Um, you know, the, you take 33 to one shot, Lavender's Blue. I mean, she's she's travelled like the wrath of God into her last two races in Group 2 company and hasn't, she doesn't find a huge amount off the bridle that she's suited by the bride and, you know, she could she could get involved. And the fact that she's 33 to 1 um, gives you an idea of just how strong the race is. 
Trump was a lease of course, she had such a good um a good season last year, the winner of the uh, of the Matron Sticks. She's a 20 to 1 poke. Um, and that just tells you just how how deep this race is. Um and in that regard, um I I wouldn't want to take a, a very short price about about anything in the race. Alcohol free, I I must say I was one of those people who thought they, they need to be dropping her back in trip um because she she she's bred for speed. Um, she showed a lot of speed as a juvenile. I didn't think she stayed, although she wasn't beaten very far in the guineas, although she just flattened out later on. Uh, and I was a little bit surprised to see how well she she got home in the uh, in the coronation, uh, beating Snow Lantern. Um, and if you believe that the pair of those improved um, there in line with the uh, with the whole contest, then you fancy their chances again. But if you if you go back a run and, and look at um, Snow Lantern's um, run at um, at York in the Michael Seeley sticks. Um, she was absolutely destroyed by Primo Baccio. Primo Baccio was enormously impressive. Now this is an interesting, it's an interesting um race because it ties in both the um the coronation stakes and the, the Fred Darling because alcohol free obviously beat Primo Baccio yeah. into fourth in the Fred Darling first time out. Um and you might believe that you know that that shows that she's definitely held. But Primo Baccio was a hundred to one shot. Um, in the Fred Darling, having only won uh, a fairly run-of-the-mill novice at Lingfield as a juvenile. So she'd had uh, one run on turf, a couple of runs in the old weather at the back end of the year, you know, late November, mid-December. Uh, and when she lined up for that um, uh, for that Group 3 at uh, Newbury um, in April, she was she was unwanted. 101 um, SP on course, 160 on Betfair. And she ran a cracker to be fourth. And a few people thought, well, she kind of holds the form down because she she wasn't a particularly high class filly as a two year old. She's clearly trained on really well. And then she went to York, and she didn't just back that form up. And you, you've got to watch the Michael Seeley stakes again if you, if it isn't fresh in your mind. She looked absolutely different class to her rivals. And given one of those rivals uh, was Snow Lantern, um, you've got to find excuses for those in behind. And I thought there weren't any excuses. It, the, the race was run at a fairly modest pace. Um, William Buick dictated uh, the, the, the pace on Creative Flair, um, who had a solid chance on form. Snow Lantern travelled well in behind. Um, they didn't go particularly fast, and Primo Baccio was held up in last place. So the fact that she was able to cruise through the field and win by three lengths marks her down as being a very, very smart filly. Um, she's coming from left field, um, obviously having not done a hell of a lot as a two-year-old, um, but there's there's no doubt that um, uh, that she was full value for her win at York. Maybe like a you know one or two Ed Walker horses who seem ideally suited um, by York. Maybe she's not going to be the same force at Newmarket. But I don't really see that as an issue. She she was in need of her debut. I thought she ran very well and uh, to be fifth in a big field and a maiden at Newmarket on her debut in September. Not not fully wound up. Set off thirty three to one shot there. Um, traded about four to one in running. Uh, before weakening late in the day. Um, and she, as I said, she's clearly stepped up markedly on that. The York form is, is very solid. The only question about it is, um, you know, whether she needs a goodish ground, because that's what she's raced on so far, uh, and whether she needs a flat track. But I, I think on the basis of her of her debut, um, you would say that Newmarket shouldn't be an issue for her. And she just, you know, she, she flies under the radar. She's, she's a bigger price. And a filly she slammed last time out at level weight. And I think that's wrong. I don't really buy into the idea that, that um, 
um, the snow lantern suddenly improved an absolute chunk. Of, I, I believe she improved, um, but I don't think she improved enough to suggest that she, you know, she wasn't the same horse at all at York. And I think that improvement is liable to to exist in Primo Bacchio as well. She was having her second run of the season, as was Snow Lantern. Um, she improved uh, for her reappearance, and I think she'll improve again as Snow Lantern did. So, although strictly speaking, Snow Lantern has achieved more over that second um, in the in the coronation, I think Primo Bacchio will simply improve again, um, and I think her defeat as Snow Lantern is still a fair indication of where the pair of them stand. Uh, so I think she's overpriced in the race. Uh, and the other one who, who's arguably too big is Lady Bothorpe, who, who's formed this season is absolutely rock solid. Um, she, When she was beaten at Royal Ascot, she did nothing wrong at all. It's just that all the jockeys stayed far side of the track, apart from Frankie de Tory, um, on the winner, who decided to come closest to the stands rail. And that's why Indy Angel won. She was nowhere near the best filly in the race, in my view. Lady Bothorpe had beaten her. Um, at uh, Newmarket in the Dahlia Stakes. I think she will confirm that form. Um, and she hasn't really got credit for coming so far clear of the others when second to Palace Pier and in the Lockinge. And that's that's arguably as strong uh, a piece of form as anything has shown in this race. Um, she might be vulnerable to the three-year-olds given, given weight away, uh, but I think she's, she's a little bit underrated still given how solid her form is this season. And of course, uh, we know she, um, uh, she handles the track um, she, she doesn't really have any holes in her and I think she's a, a really solid uh, performer in this race as well She's definitely one for the exactors and trifectas if you're going to be going down that route uh, I think the shout about Prima Baccio is absolutely spot on and you couldn't have put it better uh, I fully agree with you but just briefly your thoughts on Mother Earth going back to good to firm ground so she's had to She's tackled very soft at Longchamp and then heavy ground at, uh, at Royal Ascot. And she's run solid races on both occasions, but we, it seems as though good to firm brings out the best in her. Um, so is she being underestimated? Well, it's, this is the thing. You know, it's, as I said, it's hard to make a case for early cattle in the, uh, in the Falmouth. Otherwise, you can make some kind of each way case for, for any other runner in the field, uh, based either in this season's form or last. Um, and Mother Earth, obviously, um, Newmarket holds no fears and, and Fast Brown holds no fears. You know, she is she is a, a proper group one performer um, who um, who deserves plenty of praise. And, and it's worth it's again worth bearing in mind that although the, the coronation stakes form is the is the form that's holding up the market at this stage. That was at a very different track and a very different ground to, to what they're going to experience. And I think most of us leading up into this new market meeting have, have, I guess, expected the ground to be riding slower than um, the, the advanced going because there's been so much rain around elsewhere. Um, but amazingly, new market have had to water to, to maintain good to firm ground for this, uh, which seems absolutely bizarre. But but that is the case. And obviously, it goes without saying that I will be doing the Box Exacta and the TriCast on Prima Baccio, Mother Earth, and Lady Bothorpe. And I'll be doing that with Tote. Why I hear you ask? Because of Tote Plus. On any of Tote's racing pools, they will pay you a 10% bonus 
on top of your winnings. Just giving out that free gravy. And speaking of gravy, when we were doing pre-production on the podcast last night, Rory highlighted just one more race that he wants to discuss for Friday. And it happens to be a handicap. And we know that Rory Delargy is the king of cracking handicaps. So take it away, my man. Yeah, I'm favorite for this race is Global Storm. Obviously, he's a course and distance winner on the Rooley Mile, I should mention, in May. So not strictly course and distance. And then he ran very well when um, third over this trip at Royal Ascot. And that's a pretty solid form, and he's got a decent chance here. But I don't really buy him being an 11 to 2 shot. And the horse that he beat half a length here in May. Um, who now meets him um, on four points better terms. I don't think that horse should be 14 or 16 to one. And that's what it is at the moment. That is um, Lost Withiel for George Bowie. Now, the reason Lost Withiel is a a big price here and and was bigger when the market opened as well is because he went to Royal Ascot and finished 15th of 19. But he finished 15th of 19 um, in the Ascot Stakes over two and a half miles, which he clearly did not stay. Um, he travelled pretty well that day, but from, from a couple of furlongs out, he, he faded um, as if his stamina was stretched, which is not surprising. The Ascot Stakes tends to be a race for wizened old hurdlers um, rather than young handicappers on their just their third handicap start. He didn't really have experience for a race like that. He didn't have the stamina. Um, but back at a mile and a, a mile and three quarters, um, he still looks reasonably handicapped. He's two pounds higher than that second um, uh, over the at uh, the track in uh, in May in a race that's worked out very well. The third was a winner next time out, and obviously uh, the winner of that Global Storm ran a cracker of a four pound higher market basket. That gives you an idea of how strong that collateral form is. You can ignore Lust with Yield's last run. He's a winner on firm ground. He's run very, very well um, on good to firm. Um, he stays a mile and mile three quarters very well. And, and again, if you look back at that race, um, the, the winner was all right and Lust with Yield pushed him all the way to the line. It was half length in it, and that's exactly what you would say was between the two horses. He's, as I said, he's now four points better off. And I think that in itself is enough to, to help him turn the tables. Um, He's also got the, the assistance of Mark Crean, who's a massively improved jockey in the last um, the last couple of years. It's often worth following apprentice jockeys who've taken time to click, you know, jockeys who, who would have had a four or five percent strike rate for a couple of seasons and just riding, generally riding big outsiders uh, and scraping for rides, and who then you know show that they're they're capable of doing it and give it an opportunity and pick up better minds. Um Great I check. think sometimes apprentices can can really um can get success very very quickly they're, they're spotted straight away and they're thrown into the limelight mark Rain's had to work his way there um but his um his figures this season are very good um he's impressed tactically um if you backed him on all his flat mines in the last five seasons um you would be 1044 pounds and 70 pence ahead to a 10 pound stake at SP. It's a, um, it's a better investment than Bitcoin. <laughs> um, he's, um, and obviously there's a few, few big price winners in there. Um, but, um, but yeah, he's looked, he's looked very solid. He's very mature. He's clearly, you know, developed physically and mentally in the last couple of years. And I think he's, he's well worth his sweet pint claim. 
So Los Wiedel, um, as I said, at about 14 or 16 months, it's just the wrong price. I mean, there are plenty of horses who can win this race. It is an archetypally um, competitive mile and six handicap. But if Global Storm is a reasonable price at 11 to 2, then Los Wiedel is the wrong price at, at 14. Sold. Uh, easily sold. Uh, if Rory Delargy puts a horse up in a handicap, you have to take notice, particularly when Rory says, let's talk about that race. Uh, and that is Friday complete for us. Uh, I would just give a quick mention to Live Your Dream, Oshin Murphy, Saeed Bin Saroor. Saeed Bin Saroor, training winner on a big day. Uh, more for the reverse exacta. I am following Rory in. Uh, and the 16 to 1 is coming under pressure. Uh, some firms have gone 12s, so act fast. If you're listening to this podcast on release day of Thursday, then act now. Uh, we're straight to Saturday, so, where it's a case of feast your eyes, and we have to decide, well, what are we going to pick out? What do we want to talk about? And there's, there's so much to go through, uh, but we narrowed it down to what Rory has considered and what I've considered to be the best of the best. Uh, and we'll begin at Ascot. Uh, going there to give contrast, as Rory was saying, to Newmarket is soft. And our old friend Top Rank is back in action. Uh, he's run since Ascot, where he's finished second behind Century Dream. Um, and I know off air you had a bit of a theory about Top Rank, but. Is and he's now he now has the assistance of Luke Morris, who of course is my favorite jockey and your favorite jockey, Rory. Uh, we've never said a bad thing about him in our lives, have we? Hail, find out about it if you did. Hey, Oh, I did on Twitter. Don't you worry. Uh, hail a cab there on top rank, and uh, yeah. So, so, are you confident that he'll turn the form around with Century Dream? While also in the back of your mind having a slight, a slight theory about him. Um, I, I really fancied him to um to hit the frame at least, um in the Queen Anne, and he made a big move into contention and, and um might have got himself to the front or certainly certainly was challenging Palace Pier, and when Palace Pier wasn't exactly running away, um, I thought he was um, he was going to run a big race, but he's faded out of it um, as if um, as if he didn't quite well as if he'd done too much or he didn't quite stay the trip. Um, but obviously he'd um, uh, he'd finished third in the lockage before that. But again, you know, you can argue that um, that he didn't get home anywhere near as well as the winner that day. I just wondered whether maybe he might be worth trying at seven furlongs, given the, the mid-race speed that he's uh, uh, that he's shown on both occasions. Um, but again, I, I think he just he ended up being wider than ideal um, in the Queen Anne. Um, he was drawn in stall one. Um, the the first three home were drawn in in eleven, eight, and nine. He raced without cover and quite enthusiastically. And I suppose the issue there is that is that you know he he just did too much work running into a strongish pace and then left himself with nothing for the finish. Um, he's come out of that since, as you said, and and, and finished um, second century dream at Windsor. Uh, worth pointing out that he was um, he was carrying a penalty for his win at uh, in the Doncaster Mile, so he was giving five pounds to century dream there. He also didn't get this, as good a run through the race as Century Dream. Um, 
he was just stopped in his run for long enough that he wasn't able to throw down a challenge. But even then, crunching the numbers, he comes out as the best horse in the race. And you would hope that he would, um, that he'd be able to, to uh, turn the tables now. Um, and he's the horse to beat in the race, really. So you know, he ought to be favourite for this. And I suspect that, although he's done most of his, his running on a, a straight track, um, I suspect it will help him see the mile out and ask it better um, around the bend. Uh, I'm not... Um, I'm not, I'm not uh, suggesting that having Luke Morris on board would make me more confident um, about um, about backing him. Um, but I, I still retain the faith in top rank. You know, I said at the start of the season, he's probably, you know, if I was looking for a horse to put in my, if I tend to follow, who was slightly left field, uh, it would be him. Um, and he's not done, he's not done an awful lot wrong. He's, he's as I said, placing the lock inch, um, then just, Excuses in the Queen Anne. He, he wouldn't have been good enough to, to win the Queen Anne against Palace Pier. Um, but I think the way it panned out didn't show him to best effect. Um, he showed what he was capable of at uh, Windsor on quick ground. Softer ground is ideal for him, as I've said before. Um, he's he's not a thorough stayer. Um, and, you know, a really stiff test on soft ground could find him out. But he is suited by soft ground. As I said, I think we may find out in time that seven furlongs on soft brine is, is perhaps absolutely ideal for him. Um, and it'd be interesting to see if he's tried at that trip uh, later in the season. Um, but of course, the only issue with that is there are no, there are no um, domestic group one races over seven furlongs. So the temptation is always going to be to run them over a mile. Um, the challenge is a new marker later in the season, for example, which would make a bit of sense. But, you know, they want to win a group one with him. Um, just have a quick look at what he's entered in at this stage. He's um, uh, interestingly, he does have three current entries over seven furlongs. Uh, all of those obviously in Group Two races because there are no Group Ones. Yep. He's in the Minstrel Stakes at the Curra. He's in the Lenox Stakes at Goodwood, and he's in the City of York Stakes um, at York, all over seven. So it looks like James Tate is considering um, that he might be worth trying over shorter. And again, the issue with backing him here is um, Luke Morris aside. Um, it's going to be a stiff test um, at a track where he didn't quite see it out on his on his um, his most recent track run. So while I still think he's the horse to beat here, I'm I'm inclined to sit on my hands a little bit. I don't want to I don't want to oppose him. Um, and if I was backing anything in the race, it would probably be him. But I might just I might just leave it alone and see and look at the possibility of. Um, of punting in more heavily and um, drop back to seven furlongs. And of course, French entries wouldn't apply here, but France is probably going to be on the agenda for him as well. And you make a great point about the fact that he's already beaten my Oberon on soft ground at Haydock, so it, ground should suit. So as long as Luke Morris does what he's told, then uh, yeah, I'd, I'd give him one more chance, but I'd be like yourself. It... The bet on the day may very well become a lucky 63 and include top rank, or it may just be a lucky 31 and I'll leave him out entirely. But I kind of feel as though if he goes and wins a race like this, I'd be kicking myself. But um, you have to let a horse go at some point and just go, no, it's not it's not working. It's not working. And in that case, move on, uh, which is exactly what we're going to do as we head to York 
up to York uh, for the John Smith's Cup, one of the biggest handicaps of the year. £125,000 in prize money guaranteed. And of course, a wide open betting heat. Um, I say that uh, as the money starts to pile in um, for James Savage and Sir Michael Stout's Astro King. Of course, James gets mentions first because he's a big, big friend of the Final Forum podcast. And... Um, he wanted to say thank you for all the kind words, by the way, that he got um, in person and uh, WhatsApp messages and tweets as well for his uh, last appearance on the Final Front podcast, most recent. And uh, he will be on again with us very, very soon, possibly uh, reviewing Astro King's performance in, in this race. Uh, he's favorite at 11 to 2. Sorry, Pride, which I'm quite keen on. Eights. Uh, Dawi is nines. Uh, Dawem, 11s. And that's the other horse that I'm very interested in, but I really want to find out who Rory's interested in. Uh, I'll um, I'll keep an eye on the weather for this to a large degree because if it gets if it becomes very soft, that would change the way I'd look at this race. I found it, and one or two of those that I could fancy in the race, um, probably wouldn't want it hot deep. Uh, that would include Ade, but if the going is just good to soft. I would fancy his chances. He's, he's drawn out in stall 22, which a lot of people will will, um, um, will think is a terrible draw. But historically, um, plenty of horses have overcome wide draws in this race um, in the past. Um, and it tends to go more often than not to a lightly raced four-year-old. Um, Ajay very much fits the bill. Um, Simon and uh, Chris Ford have their horses in, in very good form at the moment. And again, Mark Crean's been booked. Um, and I think that's um, that's a big positive. He was far far from disgraced um, when fifth of fourteen in the Duke of Edinburgh Royal Ascot last time out. Um, and he does have form and heavy ground. He, he didn't look in love with it at Ascot, but it does. I mean, the ground at Ascot is when it gets very wet um, can be very different to um, to very soft ground elsewhere. Certainly, Ascot soft ground and York soft ground are very different. Um, and I I would be. Um, I would be happy to give him another chance um, on easy ground here. Also, I would, I although he's one at a mile and a half, I would have no issue with him dropping back to um, this extended mile and a quarter and a strongly run race. And there's more to come from him. Um, I've already uh, uh, talked up the jockey, um, but he's he was very impressive, maybe too impressive, I suppose. A new market on his previous start because he went up 13 pounds in the handicap. Um, and it's never easy to defy that kind of rise. Um, but he was he looked very progressive. He looked the type of force to keep going forward uh, through the year. He doesn't want um, he doesn't want very fast ride. Um, and I'm just hoping it's it's good to soft. Good to soft probably ideal for Ade, and he'd be high on my short list. So um, very much um, very much worth bearing in mind. Astro King's an obvious one as well. Um, but I wouldn't. I'd be wary of him on, on grind soft and good. You know, his standout effort came, has come on firm grind, Astro King. Um, and his previous run, he was a little bit unlucky in the first come cup, um, was again on, on, um, on a sound surface. So he needs to prove himself because his one run on soft grind, he was disappointing. Um, uh, beating an odds on favourite at, um, at Doncaster last, um, last autumn. So I'd be a little bit wary of Astro King on this grind, unless it dries out. Uh, if it does, he's a player. Um, Surrey Pride could run well. He's clearly been laid out for this after winning over course and distance in May. Um, he's gone up six pounds for that, but I think that's reasonable enough. And, and Joe Chute has has um, done very, very well with his handicappers this season. So he's also on the short list. 
And one of the big prizes you might be worth bearing in mind, again, if the going is, is not much worse than good, is Strait of Hormuz for Jed O'Keefe. Now, he's been beating double digits on his last three starts. And on that basis, it's not an obvious uh, contender at all here. But he was um, quite an impressive winner uh, in a well-run race at Doncaster, the Ledger meeting last year um, of a mark of 88. Just three pounds higher. He's got um, the three-pound claim of uh, Thor Hammer Hansen here. Um, I, don't, I think conditions were probably against him when he was six behind the impressive Blue Cup at Epsom um, on Derby Day. Um, and he shaped as if he needed the run uh, over uh, the mile and a half here on his return. So you can make excuses for him since he won at uh, Doncaster last year. Um, and he's he's essentially back to a winning mark. So while you wouldn't want to take a short price about him, he's got a little bit to prove. I suspect he will be a big price uh, and he's worth bearing, bearing in mind as a result. Again, he wouldn't want the grind to be very soft. He'd want the grind to dry out a little bit from what it is. But if that is the case, then he's worth considering. Rory, he is a big price. He is the outsider of the field currently at 40 to 1. I can assure you the outside of the field for this on Saturday will be three-digit price. The usual scenario here. If you fancy an outsider in a 24-runner handicap, you're back in the rank outsider. It's not going to be 40 to 1. This is the frustrating thing about the current state of anti-post betting. There's a lot of firms are pricing this up as, and the outsider of the field is Strait of Hormuz and Sky Defender at 25 to 1. You're like, what? Come on. At least there's a couple who've gone 40s and 33s. But if you hadn't mentioned Strait of Hormuz, I suspect he would be 66s on the day. But the fact that Rory DeLarge has now highlighted Strait of Hormuz under the conditions that it does not get too soft, if that is the case, would you advise, given the fact that you're, and this is not just obsequious behavior, Rory, this is just pure fact, your influence on the market, would you advise the final Furlan podcast army to take the 40s now or no. would you, you'd hold mad tough I mean you have you have to do that at times if you if you fancy outsiders and we're talking big outsiders here you you have to understand how the market works firms they don't want to offer massive prices about races that are two days away with uncertainty over uh, the grounds possible running plans things like that essentially you're feeling your way with the market like that uh, and it's only on the day itself that you'll start to see the outsiders begin to drift. You know, because essentially, there'll be, there'll be one or two biggish price horses that people latch onto, horses that are the wrong price. Um, and people will back that. I've given you an example in the, uh, in the Milan Six Handicap on Friday mm-hmm. uh, at Newmarket. Uh, but then there are horses who are just, they're going to be outside at the level. And Sky Defender, for example, is a very good, ex- is a good example here. He finished last in the race last year, having come into the race in form. Um, He's got less chance on the book this year. Um, and you can be sure he's going to be a big price on the day. Uh, Straight of Hormuz should also be a, a big price. We're, we're talking, as I said, 66s and bigger. Um, again, I'd be inclined to back horses like this on the exchange. The, the ground is important. So um, there's no point backing a horse two days in advance when you know that if it rains, you don't fancy your chances. So hold off. Um, if it does get softer, don't back the horse at all. Um, if the going appears to be no worse than the soft side of good, that's fair enough. You might want to back the horse at a price. Um, but that price, you know, has to be, as I said, you know, 66 to 1 and bigger. 
um, if you're if you're backing at win only. If you're backing it each way with extra places, you may take a slightly different view. You may be happy to back that at 50s, and you will find firms going six or seven places on the day. Uh, and in which case, you know, you, you're looking at what you, what value you're getting on the place market there, and that's a slightly different thing. Mm, I think that there's a, a firm trying to justify, we're going seven places now, but what they're doing is smashing Astro King down to fours, where everybody else is 11 to two, essentially, and going 25s about straight of four moves. So, yeah, um, definitely on the day. And of course, Tote will be offering massive pool betting options for you. So you can have your win bet and your place bet. And uh, don't forget it's SP guaranteed. And, oh, did we, did we mention Tote Plus? Did I, did I do a proper mention of Tote Plus yet, Rory? Have, are you aware of this? Best pool betting payouts available to racing fans. It's not. This is not just restricted to final Furlong podcast listeners. And by the way, welcome to the show if you're a new listener. We've had uh, tweets from a number of new listeners, and it's great that you're on board the gravy train. Welcome. Uh, hopefully you were crushing it with the bookmakers uh, last week and crushing it on tote last week uh, with Rory's sensational tips. But Tote Plus is an enhanced dividend on all of Tote's racing pools. So you're getting better value than you ever got before with any bet anywhere. And you can take advantage of some of the brilliant payouts that the pools provide on big racing days, like Friday and Saturday that Rory and I are talking about and that uh, we're discussing right now. The Tote SP guarantee remains in place. But on top of that, with Tote Plus, you get a 10% boost on top of your winnings. So whether it's a win bet, a place bet, uh, an exacta, trifecta, maybe you're doing the scoop six, maybe you're doing a place bot. If you do those bets with an affiliate site, with some sports book that gives you access to Tote, that's great. Fair play. Well done. You're not getting the real value because you're missing out on the SP guarantee and, crucially, you're missing out on that 10% boost being applied to your winnings. That is only available to you at tote.co.uk or tote.ie or the official tote app. 10% on top of your winnings at the end of the year. That can make all the difference. So 10% applied. They're giving money away. It's your choice whether or not you want to take it. And if you're a new customer to Tote, there's a free bet that can be played on any of their pools. And if you play that on the racing on Friday or Saturday and you win, you're getting 10% on top as well. There's free money. We shouldn't take it. Um, There's no code to be added. Just go to Tote, tote tote.co.uk, tote.e, or the official Tote app. Tote want to revolutionize online betting and they want to give the best payouts for pool betting online. Tote.co.uk, tote.ie, they're the sites you need to go to or download the official Tote app. Uh, by the way, it could be a huge weekend for Mark Crean on the Final Forum podcast if he manages to guide home on Friday uh, Lost Wheel 
who is being backed, I see, uh, and then manages to guide home Ade, or Ade, in the John Smith's Cup. He will be a Final Furlong podcast legend immediately, uh, and for life, for that matter. So, um, no pressure, son. No pressure. Uh, 3.15, new market, as we switch tracks again. So, in terms of going um, good to firm, not to confuse things at all. So, as Roy was saying beforehand, they've had to water at Newmarket. Meanwhile, everywhere else is is soft. So, we'll see how the weather plays out. But right now, the going is officially good to firm. And the Bet365 superlative stakes, the Group 2. Interestingly, no Aidan O'Brien runner this year. Um, but this is a race that Charlie Appleby has had a fantastic record in and uh, has run some very good horses in as well in the past, or at least horses that we thought were going to be very, very good. And uh, Native Trail, who has William Buick on board and looks to be the first string, is a best price 9-2. to two. Uh, But the horse that Oshin Murphy was very keen to talk to us about on the Final Furlong Podcast Royal Ascot Special, where when we discussed the Coventry, the only horse that he was interested in discussing really, aside from the horse that he partnered to victory... Uh, Berkshire Shadow, despite the fact that it's spelt with an E, but hey, Irish pronunciations, we won't say anything. Uh, so he ends up winning the race, but he was very keen and very afraid of Dabab. And the money came for him on the day. You listened and you took his advice and he ended up going off four to one, despite the fact it was Rob Havlin on board and Frankie had chosen another horse from the John and Teddy Gosden yard. So he is a very short price favorite here. Um, to me... Rory, he seemed to get a little bit outpaced uh, at Royal Ascot. And I know in the review when we were looking back on the race that things were things certainly didn't go his way and he was a little bit unlucky. But he was slightly outpaced, which does make me a little bit worried when he's this price. Um, Native Trail has looked exciting. I would even go so far as to say that Private Signal, um, and I'm not just mentioning him because he cost... Uh, 1.7 billion at uh, the sales. Uh, I think the official figure was actually 800 and six, 680,000 uh, guineas as a yearling. Um, uh, the other Godolphin horse also cost an absolute uh, fortune too. But both Native Trail and uh, Private Signal, these horses are, are babies. All of these horses are babies. They've shown a lot so far. And we've highlighted Autad, uh, Austrian theory for Mark Johnson and Joe Fanning. I wouldn't be surprised if he ran a massive race, but you're a big fan of these two-year-old races, uh, but we do have a, a greater grip on the form now. Does Dabab deserve to be the short price favorite that he is, or is he making the market for something that has impressed you or that you've noted down as a horse that, oh, that horse is going to improve massively next time out? Um, yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure whether Debab uh, deserves to be quite as short as he is. He certainly, um, he certainly shipped well in the Coventry, um, finishing sixth, and he didn't get a he didn't get a terribly clear run through. Uh, he also still looked um, in need of the experience, showed residual greenness, which probably got him in trouble in the first place. But the other thing worth bearing in mind with the Coventry is how fast they went early on there. Mm. That was a real terror. Um, and if you look at any of those horses who tried to um, to race on the pace, 
they were well beaten. Uh, worth bearing in mind, you know, the, the, the SPs of the, uh, of the, the first three were all half decent horses, don't get me wrong. Um, uh, Barsha Shadow was an 11 to 1 shot in the end, he was a fair bit bigger um, earlier on. Um, the runner up, Eldrick Jones, was 66 to 1. And uh, Vintage Cards, who was third, was, was 25. All of those, um, I'll give you the in running comments briefly for them. Barsha Shadow got the comments slowly away, rear off pace two furlongs out. Eldrick Jones, rear, headway two furlongs out. Vintage Clarence, held up, headway two furlongs out, uh, etc. Whereas um, the fancied horses in the race tended um, to be um, to be handy and faded out of a coffee maker, um, uh, set that really strong pace and faded out of it to finish. It, it's, the Acropolis was, was well fancied. Um, he, um, you know, he was he was in touch early on. Didn't didn't um didn't get involved in the in the very strong early pace, but he was close to it, and then faded late on. Um, and I just wonder whether it might be a little bit dangerous to um to take the the, the Coventry form as being um gospel given the way it was run. And although you can say to was unlucky not to finish closer, and he was backed into favoritism on the day, and that's well worth bearing in mind. Mm -hmm. Um, the fact that he came up came from off the pace and met trouble doesn't just mean that he was unlucky not to finish closer but the way the race was run and the fact that he couldn't go the early gallop would have been helping him to get involved late in the day so there's there are two elements there there's there's, a, there's the element that he was unlucky uh, in the run and that he was still green in the early stages but there's also the element that had he not been green and been able to race on the pace he wouldn't finish any closer than sixth i don't think um so it works both ways he will improve again and strictly speaking on what they've achieved, he's arguably got the best the best form in the race um, through the Coventry. But as I said, I, I think that despite the very good uh, speed figure from that, having others sacrifice themselves themselves on the front helps to produce a big speed figure. Um, and the Coventry, like a few other races on the straight course of Ascot, um, was, you know, you had that perfect scenario for hold-up horses to produce good figures, which they don't always do. Uh, not that I would say Debab is strictly speaking a, a hold-up performer. Um, when he when he learns to race, he, he'll be able to. Well, he's liable to to race fairly prominently in his races, and he may have learned enough from from Aspet to take a step forward and win this. Um, but I think there are other contenders in there as well, and I'm not mad to be taking a short price um, about him stepping up to seven furlongs as well, which is a little bit of an unknown because a few of these are very much bred for the trip. Um, native Trail, I'm not sure about. He appears to be the first of the um, um, the first string um, of Charlie Appleby's. But the race he won at Sandown was a pretty moderate contest. Come on, it's Rory. one of the. Um, Come on, Rory. Agree with me. This is brilliant. Come on, keep coming, Rory. Keep coming. So um, he was impressive there, but strictly speaking, he didn't he didn't achieve a hell of a lot on um, on the clock. And the horses who've come out of that race, you know. You do get these races that aren't particularly well run, and you think, well, the speed figure is pretty poor. But then you get winners coming out of it, and you think, okay, it was actually a decent race that just didn't show them off to best effect. Mm. Um, but we've had one, two, three, four, five, five or six runs from those in behind, and none of those who finished behind have set the world alight since, um, which makes me think that Native Trail might be a little flattered by that. On the other hand, he was sent off at 8 to 11 for that race 
and he was fully expected to win. And it may simply be a case of he's a top-class horse against moderate maidens on debut, and in winning easily, he didn't have to show all he could. And the fact that um, William Buick rides him again suggests that he is the better of the uh, of the two Appleby runners. But I would say, in terms of racecourse performance, um, Private Signal has has um, has achieved more. Bandalagi, up your boy. And I think he's quite interesting in this race with uh, with James Doyle on board. And William Buick doesn't always get it right. Um, and he, again, as always in these situations, it's um, it's not certain that Buick simply has the choice. Um, he ruled both of them last time out. I thought Private Signal, um, he, you know, he's not on favourite for for a novice last last time out. I thought the runner-up looked a decent performer there. I asked one. Uh, for Simon and Ed Crisford. Yeah. Um, and he kept going very strongly. The rest of the field were pretty well beaten off in the end. Um, there's another Appleby horse in third, Stormy Ocean. Um, that was his debut. You'd be interested to see what he does um, subsequent to that. But I thought Aswan kept Private Signal very honest in that contest. But the winner never looked like getting beaten. Um, a strongly run seven furlongs will definitely suit him. And I think he might just be the underrated horse now. My thinking, exactly. Now, he does have to turn it around with Austrian theory. But then again... Austrian Theory has just had the one run, whereas Private Signal does have the advantage of having had two starts. And you talk about horses being very well-backed. He was exceptionally well-backed to go and, and land his maiden. I think he's a, a fascinating runner, and I think the fact that we're getting 12-1, to 1, can we get bigger? No, we cannot. In fact, he's shortening all the time with everybody else. But um, I would be confident he'll turn the form around with Austrian theory, and I would be pretty confident that he'll be a very exciting horse going forward. Quick mention for Mascala, because this was one of three horses that uh, Oshin Murphy mentioned when I said, right, three for Royal Ascot, so the ones you're looking forward to most of all. And it was Mascala, Starman, who didn't run in the end, and Dragon Symbol, who I'm still of the opinion was robbed in the stewards' room, and Oshin Murphy is of that opinion as well. Just the two of you then. Did <laughs> you get the deposit back? <laughs> Yeah, we had a good debate about this with uh, Kate Tracy, who wasn't having it at all, and Peter Fornital, who was like wondering how many coffees I'd had that day. But I was, <laughs> I, I was, uh, he was like, in America, he comes well, down. Wesley, uh, Wesley Ward on the day when he was he was interviewed before while they were having the Stewart's inquiry, said, back home we'd be they'd be taking our photographs now and we'd be sitting champagne. Yeah, it would have taken a matter of seconds to throw it out. He said uh, in the old country, um, and I think. Oshin was going to, he said, Frankie the Tory told me I was on the best horse. It's like, yeah, Frankie is pulling your chain, sunshine. Do you think Campanelle is better than Dragon Symbol? I, I, it doesn't matter who's, it's, it's a case of who, who should have won that race. And uh, the, the way it panned out, the stewards had absolutely no, no choice but to give it to Campanelle. Uh, I suspect that Dragon Symbol will be will be more progressive at least, you know, well, we may find out on Saturday and we're going to get onto that very shortly. Yeah, um, it's a nice And lead. he probably didn't really want the ground. That's pro- probably why he ran off a straight line because he wasn't enjoying the soft ground. Um, although Wes Ward would also say the same about Campanella, I'm sure. Um, but yeah, I'm not, I'm not, it doesn't matter whether you think um, Horse A is, a, is fundamentally a better horse than Horse B. In that scenario where Horse A and Horse B are neck and neck for, for two furlongs but horse A carries horse B all the way across the track I'm afraid to say there's only one result 
take your beating, Kennedy, and move on. The moral of the story here is private signal is the bet. I'd alluded to him being my pick at the introduction to this race, and the fact that Rory agrees with me is music to my ears. 12 to 1 is the best price that you can get about Private Signal as we currently record on Thursday that may come under pressure now that NAPS champion 2020, Delargi has had his say. 12 to 1 about Private Signal. We will see you in Dubai. And of course, we just mentioned Dragon Symbol, and he was going to be a big player in the feature race of the entire New Market July Festival, the July Cup, where Starman currently heads the betting at 4 to 1, locked as joint favorite with the defending champion and Royal Ascot hero Oxted. Dragon Symbol a moral Royal Ascot hero, is 9-2 to two and closing in all the time on that force. Uh, creative Force, another Royal Ascot hero, 15-2, to two, the best price you can get about him. Rohan, another Royal Ascot hero, is 15-2. to two. Glenn Scheel, a Royal Ascot hero for Final Furlong Podcast listeners because he helped us land the exacta with poor old Dream of Dreams winning the Diamond Jubilee and Glenn Scheel finishing second, getting us the box exacta, as Barry Faulkner likes to call it. And just in behind was Art Power, who is currently 16-1, to 1, with Sylvester D'Souza, of course, on board for his retained ownership. They're essentially the key players in terms of the betting, Rory. There's another horse that I would like to mention a little bit later on, but your take on the July Cup and all of the horses I've mentioned, bar one, ran at Royal Ascot, except for Starman. Is that a negative against him? No, not at all. But that, you know, in, in terms of that question, he missed Royal Ascot because the crime was soft. Um, had he run there, he might have, he might have left his race behind. Um, he won't, I, I shouldn't think he'd like for fitness. Um, he would have been ready to go at Royal Ascot just in case of keeping him, keeping him uh, ticking over. What I would say here, this is a big, big field. Uh, 19 runners for the July Cup. The last three times we have had a field of similar size, um, it has been dominated um, by horses drawn high. And looking at the shape of the race in terms of where, where speed is as well, uh, it looks like there, you know, the high numbers could could end up being um, being advantaged again. There's not an awful lot of speed in the middle. There is a bit um, among the, the low numbers, especially with Dragon Symbols, going to go forward, uh, and that could that could make it interesting. But the, the 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 low numbers, you know, will have their own race, and the high numbers will have their own. With with I don't really see. I'm I'm not suggesting the middle can't get involved, but in terms of um, the field, either racing as a group or racing in two groups, with with no obvious speed in the middle, I think I think that they will race as two groups here. Um, and therefore, I would look to um, the group who is able to um, produce extended speed um, to, to, to throw up the winner. And it looks to me like the, uh, uh, the high numbers are more likely to produce that than the low numbers. Um, and I would have looked at this race very differently before the draw. Um, but again, looking back, um, the, the one time we've had, we did have the, uh, the a low number dominant in a biggish field for this. Um, you'll remember when Haley Turner won the race of Dream Ahead. Yes. Where she was the only one to ride to her draw. 
Yeah. The previous race, I believe, something had, had won from a high draw. It was a Bunbury Cup, wasn't it? And the um, uh, the jockeys originally wanted to stay stand side. Uh, and then the Bunbury Cup has gone to something that has gone far side. And then in the July Cup itself, everybody wanted to do that. So it's, uh, it's an interesting one. I'm trying, I'm trying to remind myself how that, how that panned out. Um, but yeah, the, the other th- the three races where there've been 18 or 19 runners in this in the last 20 years, um, the winners have come from stall 16, stall 16, and stall 10. Um, and I'm not suggesting that has to be the case again, but I think it is a it is a benefit. And interestingly, Oxted is the one who's drawn stall 16 last year's winner. Um, if you want a if you want a negative to Oxted's chances. Uh, it's the fact that no horses has uh, has followed up in the July Cup uh, in over sixty years. Ooh, so he bids to make remar- history, that, 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 and that's a remarkable statistic when you consider that 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 sprinters tend to stay in training as older horses. Yeah, it's a, it's an exception. And you would expect you expect to get multiple winners of races like this. Never happens. Um, and do you know who I'm going to go for at the end? Please, my I- old friends. My old friend, Art Carr. Oh, the horse that we talked about so much on the podcast last year. Is this because you feel that he has finally grown up, matured after that monstrous run at Royal Ascot last time out? Yeah, that was that was much, much more like it. I didn't work out running the Nunthorpe last year. He couldn't get involved. Um, but this is his trip. I personally think, although he's got decent form at Ascot, I think Newmarket will suit him really well. Um, and it just has a lot in his favour here. Uh, again, Assuming that the, the historic past was high numbers um, in in the, the big field here um, holds up, um, but that looks it looks very positive on paper. He's got he's got company uh, without um, a, a worry about being taken on. Um, Glenn Shield will be up there. He's got the likes of Emiratiana. Um, supremacy of that one bounces back um, on the from the real draw. Could also show speed early. Um, Art Park, he just he wants to be up there. He doesn't he doesn't need to dominate, but I think he's a horse you don't want to try to mess around with. You just you just give him his head and let him run. Um, if you try to restrain him, he tends to fight that. Um, as I said, I think he'd grow out of that in time. Um, but I, I suspect Sylvester Souza, he knows him very well now, will allow him to stride on. And if he gets a lead through the first few furlongs, that's great. If he's able to lead, that's also great as well. Um, and on the basis of his excellent run on the uh, uh, in the Diamond Jubilee, I think he takes plenty of beating here, and he's going to be a fair price. Plenty of beating, says Roy Donaghy. Um, he is a very fair price, uh, a very fair price indeed. Uh, he's at least 16s, and in fact, that is the biggest price that you can currently get about him. So it will be fascinating to see where he shapes in the tote pool uh, on the day, but... Uh, yeah, I, I, he wasn't the one I was expecting you to say, but given your analysis of the draw bias um, and just how much that could play in, and look, you are emphasizing if you want to go on back, Dragon Symbol, if you want to go on back, Starman, we're not stopping you from doing that. We're just pointing out this is something that's relevant and important. So can I then ask you about a horse who actually has a lot of negatives to overcome because... I think it was 1983 was the last time we had a, a three-year-old filly win this race. You already know where I'm going with this, Rory. Uh, Miss Amulet, she missed Royal Ascot, and she wants good ground. So they've decided to come here. Uh, they've also decided that the mile is done. Everything she's entered in is 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 sprint races. Uh, she comes from stall 10 at 40s. 
is she worth a go or is it just a case of give it up kennedy give it up she's she's interested uh, well stole 10 has won this um in a big field um in recent times so it's not uh, it's not a massive negative there um the the one three-year-old filly who has won this race in that time period as you mentioned was habiti who like miss amulet had run unplaced in the irish guineas prior to that so there is there is a parallel there um she looked a sprinter last year dropping back and certainly help her um she needs to prove that she's trained on. She was pretty disappointing at the Cura, but everything was against her there. Yeah. Um, and it's a very easy one to forgive. It's just difficult to know exactly how good she is at this stage. But, you know, when it's difficult to, to pin down how good a filly is, um, there is always the possibility that, that they are better than you think. Um, and at a big price, I certainly wouldn't put anyone off her. She's not, she's not going to appear among my bets, I have to say. Um, but you do have the possibility that she finds it back to her best under conditions that will suit her. And this is probably her grind and her trip. Yeah, this is ideal for her. I think Billy Lee comes over, a uh, fantastic rider with um, Ken Gonton doing a, a brilliant job this season. Racing Post uh, currently have him at 71% runners to form. So Miss Amulet at 40s will be my bet in the race. But you better believe that uh, in, the, in some shape or another, art power is going to be in there as well. Uh, on the basis of what Roy Delargy said, will I think you will take the beating? Was the quote. Love to hear it. You love to see it, uh, Rory. What is your best bet for final Fulham podcast listeners? Uh, let's keep it simple then. Um, if Art Power is sixteen to one, it's going to be Art Power. Sixteen to one, Art Power uh, for Doctor Delargy. Uh, I will go with uh, Private Signal. Uh, in the juvenile race and um, I'll throw in Mother Earth as well for the Falmouth uh, but um, I'm looking forward to it it's look it's going to be tremendous racing and uh, Rory is actually here on Monday to review it all and uh, and dissect it all so Rory's just going to be throwing cash around the place left right and center or maybe he'll invest it in cryptocurrency and he'll be uh, you'll just hear that in the background uh, making loads of noise so um, uh, Dr. Delargy reviewing the action uh, from the weekend's racing which should be a lot of fun so uh, looking forward to that on Monday's show um, enjoy the weekend we've given you I think some great insight as always from Rory and uh, I cannot thank you enough, my friend. Uh, top class stuff as always. Thank you very much, Emmett. Um, I hope everyone has a good weekend. And I fully echo that. Uh, so from Rory and myself, we will chat to you on Monday as we review all of the action. And uh, is there going to be egg dripping down our faces? Or are we going to be covered in gravy like we were last weekend? We'll find out on Monday's Final Forum Podcast. Till then, have a great weekend. Take care. God bless. The Final Furlong Podcast is proudly brought to you by Toast. Think you can't get better value? Think again. 10% bigger dividends when you bet direct with Toast Plus at toast.co.uk.